Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Good morning. My name is Pastor Mark. I'm the discipleship pastor here at New Life, and we're so excited that you're here to join us this morning, especially if you're here for the first time. If this is the first time you've ever been here, we are honored that you're here. New Life was created for you. We prepared the coffee for you ahead of time. We prayed for you. We're intentional about first-time guests, so we're so excited, and we're honored that you would just that you would decide to spend some of your time this morning amongst the snow and the cold to come out and see what new life is all about. And in this week, we're starting a brand new series called The Four T's of Generosity. And in it, we're going to be talking about four things specifically, as, as the name would imply, of course, right? Time, talent, treasure, and touch. Time, talent, treasure, and touch. And so this week and the three weeks following, we're going to be talking about these four key areas of our life in which we think God tells us as followers of Jesus to be generous. He directs us to be generous with these four key areas. And this morning, I'm going to spend all of our time focusing on specifically the way in which we use our time. Specifically, I'm going to be talking about us investing our time which is actually key to our take-home point today. And our take-home point is the one point that we seek to make each week. It's what my message hinges upon. It's what we hope you will take with you and live out in the coming week, what I'll take with me as well. And the take-home point is this. There is only one place that we can invest our time. There's only one place that we can invest our time. And now, throughout this morning, we're gonna learn what that one place is, And we're going to talk about that thoroughly and look at how we can better invest our time specifically in that one place rather than spending it or wasting it on other things in our lives. To do that, we're going to be looking at a story from the book of Mark. It's a story about Jesus. But before I get into that story and I read it to you, I want to pray for us. Can we pray together? Father, I thank you for today and the opportunity that we have to gather together. I pray that you would speak through me, make me invisible, Lord, make your presence visible here with us today. Open hearts and minds to receive your word. In your name we pray, amen. So I'm gonna be looking at the book of Mark in the New Living Translation. We're gonna start in chapter one, and I'm gonna read a pretty good chunk of the Bible, but we're only gonna read just this chunk today. And we're gonna start in verse 29, and we're gonna go to verse 39. So I guess... If you're a reader, it's not a very large chunk, but if you're not, I'm not a big, I try to be a big reader, but it's a fairly large chunk. Okay, so let's start off before I ramble further about whether or not we read a lot, right? (laughs) Completely pointless and has nothing to do with my sermon. Okay, let's start in verse 29. After Jesus left the synagogue with James and John, they went to Simon and Andrew's home. Now Simon's mother-in-law was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away. So he went to her bedside, took her by the hand, and helped her sit up. Then the fever left her, and she prepared a meal for them. That evening after sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. The whole town gathered at the door to watch. So Jesus healed many people who were sick with various diseases, and he cast out many demons. But because the demons knew who he was, he did not allow them to speak. Before daybreak the next morning, Jesus got up and went out to an isolated place to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him. When they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. But Jesus replied, we must go on to the other towns as well, and I will preach to them too. That is why I came. So he traveled throughout the region of Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and casting out demons. 
Now, as we look at this story, I'm actually going to go through it again, and we're going to look at it from the perspective of the disciples. But just to look at this story, the story actually starts a little beforehand in a town called Capernaum. Now, Capernaum is a fishing village along the Sea of Galilee, which is more like an oversized pond than a sea. I think, like, everything in here is, like, when they talk about mountains, like Mount Zion in the Bible, it's like a a large hill, right? Like, I got to Israel. I was in Israel uh, in 2011 into 2012 with Geneva College. We toured archaeological dig sites. And it's like, where's all the mountains at? Like, oh, when the Israelites wrote about mountains, they didn't have a whole lot to compare it to. So this hill is their mountain, right? And the Sea of Galilee is like, I can see across it, right? Um, so we, they, when we were there, it was, uh, Capernaum was this archaeological dig site. And so um, back then, though, it was this really busy fishing village. And so when we went there, we got the opportunity to kind of go and tour the different places where they think significant biblical events took place. And one of those was the synagogue. And so we got to go and we got to stand on the stones, the paving, the stones that were originally there that made up the synagogue. Weird side fact, a lot of people from a different faith background kiss things in Israel, and I'm not sure why, but there's like lipstick prints all over stuff there. It seemed very weird to me, kissing stone and stuff, but they did it. And then we also got to go and see this house, or like the outline of where the house was. They actually built a church elevated over top of where Simon's house was, where his mother-in-law was sick, where Jesus had healed her. So this story takes place, and I was actually in some of these sites, which is pretty cool when I, when I look at this story and I read it. But what happened before this story actually happened in that synagogue that I got to stand in. And that is that Jesus, on the Sabbath, that was Saturday, went to the synagogue to teach the people. Now, Jesus at this time was a traveling teacher, a traveling rabbi. So he would go from synagogue to synagogue, and he would go and teach the people. And he was teaching them about something called the kingdom of God. And so he went to Capernaum, and he went there on the Sabbath day. And usually all the towns, certainly all of the important men would have been at the synagogue on the Sabbath listening to whoever was there to teach. And the concept of a traveling teacher would not be new to them. A lot of times rabbis or Pharisees would travel from countryside synagogue to countryside synagogue and teach the people on the Sabbath days. So that's what happened. Everyone gathered and Jesus began teaching them. Now something strange happened though, and that is that Jesus' teaching was incredible. It was incredible. It was like blowing people's minds, right? And the Bible tells us that he taught as one who had authority. Now, I did not know really what that meant. So I looked it up, and thankfully the internet helped me out. So to teach as one who had authority meant that when Jesus taught, he did not cite everything back to scribes or rabbis before him to validate his teaching. Let me unpack that a little bit. If we were all in Capernaum right now, and I was a rabbi up front teaching, everything that I would say, I would pretty commonly cite back to Pastor Chris. I would say things in mimic his words, his phrasing, everything I would cite back to him. Basically, what I would be saying is because you have learned, if you've come to New Life for a while, to trust the teaching and the reliability of Pastor Chris, that you then could trust me because I am just bringing back up the things that he taught. The concept was, a, it was called a teaching yoke, right? You would actually carry the burden, the yoke, the teaching of a rabbi or a scribe that came before you. So the, the Israelites at this time, the Jews living in Capernaum, would have been very used to people coming and teaching, but they would have been very used to hearing very similar or the same teachings cited back to the same scribes and the Pharisees from long, long ago because it was passed down. These teachings were passed down about portions of the Old Testament over generations, now, I do something very similar to this, actually. Um, I, I, I don't say that I do it, but I want you to trust my teaching, and many of you have come to trust Pastor Chris. 
And so in a very similar way, I mimic a lot of the phrasing and a lot of the things that Pastor Chris says. Now, I already submit all my teaching to him. He always looks over all my sermons. I don't come up here to say anything that he hasn't already looked at. However, I want you to know that you can trust me. And so by mimicking what Pastor Chris says, I let you know that I'm submitted to his authority and you can not just trust his teaching that you've learned to trust over time, but you can also trust my teaching. So this is something that wasn't lost. It's something that I do as well. And I want to take like a, a quick right-hand turn. I'm gonna, we're going to pause right where we are because I just want to, I want to share something because I'm on the subject of Pastor Chris right now. It's good to be able to honor the people who are your leaders. But I just want to say I am so thankful to be part of a church and to serve on a team under a man who is still willing to go to Cambodia for 12 days and lead a Bible study with some Cambodian natives. I'm honored to be part of a team where I serve under a man who has the wisdom of somebody who's 60, but the energy and passion of a man who's in his 30s. And I don't know if you realize how rare that is. I've had the opportunity to visit a couple of churches recently and meet some pastors and listen to some teachings, and it is not common. So thank you, Pastor Chris. Thank you for the passion and the energy and the willingness to still go and tell people about Jesus, even if it's 12 time zones away or however many it was. Thank you. We're very grateful for that. Okay, so now I have to remember where I was. Oh, yeah, so I, I, I'm mimicking, but Jesus didn't do that, so he wasn't citing back. So the people in Capernaum were like, oh my gosh, this guy teaches as though he gets his teaching from God himself, right? He taught unlike anybody that most of the people in Capernaum have ever heard. He taught with authority. And then partway through his sermon in the synagogue at Capernaum, a man stands up, and Jesus says a couple of words and casts a demon out of him. Now, if we grew up in the church, we read the Bible, and we hear about demons being cast out of people, but I just want you to imagine for a minute that you're sitting here in church, and someone stands up and comes in the middle aisle and says some things, and in a couple of words, a demon comes out of him, and he convulses and throws himself on the ground. That would be a pretty remarkable church service. That would be shocking, right? You'd probably go home and tweet about that. That would be something strange. Not gonna believe what happened in church today. Demon got thrown out of a man right in the middle of service. Real weird, real weird, right? But this happened, this happened. And then afterwards, Jesus goes, he heals a woman, Simon's mother-in-law, who's ill, heals her by just touching her hand. And then after dinner, the whole town assembles outside. And while I was reading this story and thinking about it, I took it from the perspective of the disciples. And so I'm trying to imagine them, right? These 12 guys that are following Jesus around. And so they go to Capernaum with him. And on, on the Sabbath day, they go in to listen to his teaching. And his teaching is like incredible, right? It's like mind-blowing. Oh, my gosh, this guy teaches as one who has authority. And the people of Capernaum are hanging on every single word. And you're like, I get to hang out with that guy. Yeah, I travel with him. Yeah, yeah, hey, yeah, you know that guy? Yeah, I'm friends with him. Can you believe, right? Like, I would be all, like, all like proud and puffed up because, like, I hang out with that dude. And then he casts a demon out in church, right? Like, are you kidding me? Then he's like, boom, demon gone. And you're like, oh, my gosh, this is the most amazing day Ever, right? Like, not only am I traveling with this dude, and he's this incredible teacher, but he also has power. With just a couple of words, he sent a demon out of a dude. 
And then you're like walking back to your buddy's house after a long day in the synagogue. And you're like talking with your friends. Like, oh my gosh, did you see that? This is so incredible. Wow, I cannot believe it. You're like recapping the day. And you show up at your buddy Simon's house. And his mother-in-law has this high fever. And Jesus like touches her by the hand. And she's healed. And she comes out and makes you dinner. Right? Now, I think when we read the Bible sometimes, we think that miraculous things just happened all the time. Like demons just always came out of people and healings were happening constantly. But this is the very beginning of the book of Mark. I think quite, quite contrary to that, that these guys had never experienced anything like this in their lives. Nothing like it. So they eat dinner together and then there's a knock at the door. And when they open the door, the whole town has assembled, all of Capernaum. The Bible tells us it's after night. And as they're assembled out there, they've dug up every demon-possessed person, every crippled person, every sick person that they could find in and around the town, and they've put them all outside the door. And Jesus, instead of being like, guys, it's late, I'll see you tomorrow morning, which is kind of like, I had an exhausting day, I'm ready to get some sleep, we'll see you tomorrow. Instead, Jesus just walks out the door and starts healing people, just starts casting out demons. Like, you saw one healing today, and one person have a demon cast out of them today as his disciple. And now, you get an all-night marathon of that happening over and over and over again. Like, I can just imagine them kind of like being triaged behind Jesus, right? Jesus is like, healed of your skin disease, healed of your blindness, healed of your demon possession. He's just like, touching people as he's going through, talking to people. And you're his disciples, like, following up behind, like, oh my God, can you believe that just happened? This is so incredible. And you're like, wow, like, you would realize, man, this guy could change the world. This guy could change the world. Like, I'm following a dude who might change everything. Like, you would be so excited. And then after a long time of healing, Jesus goes to bed. And you have to go to bed. And I was at, I was at Simon's house. It's not real big. The 12 of you are sleeping one next to each other in sleeping bags. And even at that, you're not fitting real well in Simon's house. Can you imagine trying to fall asleep after that day? After all that happened, trying to lay down 12 across in your sleeping bags next to your friends and fall asleep. I can't, can't even imagine it, right? You would be like, oh my gosh, did you see that guy with that skin thing? It was like, like there's like pus everywhere and it was like real gross and, and Jesus just touched him and it all went away. And you're like, oh yeah, I saw that. Did you see that woman, that old bitter woman? I always said she was demon possessed. I always said it. And sure enough, she was demon possessed. I knew it from the time we were little, I said it, right? But after a while, evidently the disciples fall asleep. Now, it must have taken a long time. I, I don't know. I can't imagine it, but they fell asleep. And the next morning, there's a knock on the door, and they go outside, and there's a crowd waiting for them. And someone's like, where is he? I'm like, what? Who? Jesus. We've been waiting for him all morning, and he hasn't come out of the house. I brought my sick daughter with me all the way to this fishing town because I heard that he could heal her. Where is he? So you and your friends search Simon's house, which wouldn't take you very long, and you can't find Jesus. Not being able to find him, you assume he must have gotten up before dark, before light, I mean. He went to bed late. He's up early. You go looking for him. In the surrounding area, you find that he went to a solitary place to pray. And when you find him, Jesus says something to you that you couldn't possibly have imagined. He says, it's time to go. We're leaving because I have to go to the other towns and preach as well. 
Now, if I'm a disciple, right, I'm already, like, I'm already looking for him. I'm excited. Yesterday was awesome. Today, there's already a line waiting at the door, right, for healings. I want to see some more of this stuff, right? Oh, my gosh, like, the world's about to change right here in Capernaum. Something big is going on. And you go to Jesus, and he says, it's time to go? I would be like, no, you don't understand. We're all looking for you. We could do some good here. We could really help these people. I want to see some more healings. I want to be part of something amazing. I could just imagine not wanting to leave. But instead, Jesus takes his disciples, packs up his stuff, and leaves Capernaum. The Bible doesn't tell us he heals anybody else. There's this line waiting for him. He leaves. Now, I love this story. And I love this story, not just because of the healings and the demon-possessed thing. And I, I think that's cool. I think that's very cool. I love this story because of how clearly Jesus understands his purpose. I love this story because of how clearly Jesus understands his purpose. He doesn't miss anything. Even amongst healings. He probably could have stayed at Capernaum for another three years and just set up camp and people would have come to him. And that would have been a good thing. But Jesus wasn't just interested in the good thing. Jesus was always fixated on the best thing. See, Jesus remembered and knew something that we as followers of Jesus oftentimes forget. And that is this. If God is Lord of our life, then he is also the Lord of our time. If God is the Lord, the owner of our life, then he is also the Lord, the owner of our time. We see this really, really clearly. We see it very clearly in the life of Jesus whenever, although he could be doing something incredible and it seemed like the right decision was to stay in Capernaum and to heal people, he instead decides to leave because he didn't own his time. His father did. He knew this, in this life, we can spend time and we can waste time, but only in God's kingdom can we invest time. In this life, we can spend time and we can waste time, but only in God's kingdom can we invest time. Now think about it. The concept of investment is setting aside something you have now to reap or multiply your reward later, right? I'm going to set, when I invest money, I'm setting aside the money that I have now and not spending it so that years down the road, that money has the opportunity to multiply. And if this life is limited, and it is, and if we each have a finite amount of time, and we do, and if we cannot purchase more time, which we cannot then time is the most precious resource that we have. You can make more money, but you cannot purchase more time. And this is a truth that is very apparent in American culture right now, because despite the fact that a lot of us can make more money, we're brushing up against the reality that we could run out of time, and we do not know how much time we have. This truth was very clear to me about an hour before I sat down to write this message. I sat down with a dying man in his hospice room. And as we looked back at his life and we talked about the things that he had done and we prayed together, the fact that our time is limited and we only get a certain amount of it was very, very apparent in that room. It was a reality that simply could not be avoided. One that most of us avoid and don't think about every day, but one 
that he was dealing with every moment. And as I sat with him, I got the opportunity to share in that, which was actually a real blessing to me. Because in this life, we are not given the opportunity to do anything but spend or waste our time. It is only when we devote ourselves to the kingdom of God and submit our time and our schedules to Jesus Christ that we have the opportunity to invest our time in God's eternal kingdom to reap a multiplied reward after this life. There was a popular saying for a while um, by, well, it's still popular, I'm sure. It was by a guy named Martin Luther. um, And Martin Luther, if you don't know anything about him, he was a major character in church history. But he said this. He said, there are three conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, mind, and purse. There's three conversions necessary. The heart, the mind, the purse. Basically what he was saying was the purse comes last. In other words, people are far more eager to submit their heart and their mind to Jesus than they are their money. They would sooner give up their heart and mind than they would trust Jesus with their finances. And although I don't think that that's not true, I think in our current culture, because time has become such a big issue, that statement needs to be amended, at least for Americans. It's this, there are four conversions necessary. The conversion of the heart, mind, purse, and schedule. The conversion of the heart, the mind, the purse, and the schedule. And that I'm basically saying that the last thing that many of us will give up to Jesus in our lives and submit to his authority and the will of the Holy Spirit is how we spend our time. Now, I'm hesitant to quote the former pastor of Mars Hill Church, Rob Bell. And in recent years, he's kind of gone off the reservation a bit with his theology. However, many years ago, before any of that happened, he did a series of videos. And there was one that I listened to in college that's always stuck with me. And there's an image in it that's just really profound and really cool. He told us in this video that when he was on the beach with his family, his young son had spent the days collecting seashells. And if you've been any American beaches, you know what those seashells look like. They look like little tiny pieces of seashells. They're not real seashells. And so throughout the day, his son had collected this armful of seashells. And then at the end of the day, the waves kicked up a starfish. One of those ones that's big and beautiful that you would buy in the store, but you never actually see out in the real world, right? And his son runs down to it to get it and then turns around and runs back. And then he runs down to the waves to get it, and then he turns around and runs back. Rob comes down, and he says, what's wrong? Go get it. And his son runs out to get this big, beautiful prize, and now he turns back and runs back to his father, visibly upset on the edge of tears, and Rob says, what's wrong? Just go get it. His son says, I can't. Rob says, why? He says, because my arms are full of shells. My question for us today is are we so busy holding on to the fragments of our life? Are we so busy clinging to good things that we cannot set them down to pick up the best thing? Are we so busy submitting and clinging to good things that we cannot let go to pick up the best thing? In our culture, the devil rarely needs to keep us in a grievous sin to make us ineffective in God's kingdom. He needs only to keep us busy. In our culture, the devil rarely needs to keep us in a grievous sin to make us ineffective 
and God's kingdom. He needs only to keep us busy. So if the call on the life of every follower of Jesus is to submit not just our lives, our mind, our soul, our purse, but also our time, our schedule, which is why this this message is called the final conversion. And we're to submit not just ourselves, but also our time to Jesus and his lordship because God does have a plan for you. He has a plan for every second of your day. And it's a great plan. And he has intentions for you. He's written things into eternity for you to do. It's not that God does not have a plan for our life. It's that we struggle to submit our plans to his. It's not that God does not have a plan for our lives. It's that we struggle to submit our plans to his. So how do we do it? Practically speaking, and I'll be honest with you, I don't know all the time. I have a tendency to be like a high type A driven jerk when I come into the office. And I've realized recently that oftentimes I honor my to-do list over my relationships. I seek to get tasks done rather than invest in people. And if you've ever encountered me out here in the Welcome Center, you may have noticed because I'm talking to you and I don't make eye contact as I scan across the top of the crowd, I'm sorry. Honestly, I didn't even know that I was doing it. My wife brought it to my attention and I've been trying to change. But when I look at the word of God, I look for advice in there. And from there, I see this story, and I see that Jesus did something really unique in this story. In the morning, he woke up before the sun had risen to go to an isolated place, a solitary place to pray. I believe that submitting our time, submitting any part of us, but specifically our time and our schedule to Jesus Christ, starts with prayer. I don't know what that conversation between Jesus and God was like that morning, but evidently, God told him, you're not to be in Capernaum anymore, I need you to move on. Because my natural tendency would have been to stay in Capernaum and do some more miraculous things. But Jesus wasn't interested in what was good, he was interested in what was best. And what was best was always God's will being done, not his own. And what is best in our lives is always God's will being done, not our own. And so I don't know what that looks like for you, but I'm pretty sure it starts with prayer. I'm pretty sure it starts each day going and seeking to find time alone with your heavenly father. Seeking out what he would have you do with your time. Submitting yourself to him, even when things are good. Even when you think you're doing the work of the Lord. Even when miraculous healings are taking place around you. Seeking out the face of God to see what he would have you do rather than what you think he would have you do right? Seeking out what he would have you do rather than what you think he would have you do. It's no easy task. In fact, it's very difficult. And today, we've been talking a lot about submission, submitting our time and our schedule to God. But you may be in the room today and you have never submitted anything to God. But some of this stuff or all of it is resonating with you. You want to change in your life. You're holding a lot of broken fragments and you're ready to set them down for a singular, more powerful purpose. Or maybe you're here today and you're sick and tired of wasting all of your time and spending all of your time and you wanna learn how to invest it. I'm telling you today that the first step in that journey is trusting Jesus as your savior and Lord. Savior means he saves you from sin and death. Lord means he is your owner. And although we've talked a lot about lordship today, he doesn't just wanna be your owner, he also wants to be your savior. He died on the cross for you. 
If you were the only person, he would have died on the cross for you because he wants to spend eternity with you. And starting in that relationship with Jesus Christ is simple, not easy, but simple. It's as simple as saying, God, come in. I don't have it all together. I need your help. Come into my life and save me. Be my Lord, take over. You have everything. And that simple prayer can start you on a journey towards a new life. Jesus called that being born again. It's an opportunity to allow the God of the universe to redeem your life, your time, your talents, your treasure, your touch, your problems, your issues. Redeem those things for his glory because what the devil has intended for evil, God can redeem and make it good. So if that's you today, I encourage you, just even in these moments, to say that simple prayer. For the rest of us, takes us to our commitment today. And our commitment is this, and it's something I hope that we will go out and live out in the coming week. I will submit my time to Jesus' lordship this week. I will submit my time to Jesus' lordship this week. For those of you who know Jesus in here, I'm asking you to do something this week. I'm asking you to take a difficult and inward walk to get away with Jesus to a solitary place and speak to him and see what he has to say about your time. To reflect on your life and ask yourself a difficult question. Am I so busy clinging and holding on to good things that I have set aside my true purpose or the best thing? Am I so busy with the kids' sports schedules or with this or with that or with or with work or with family or whatever it may be. And these things are all good things, guys. They're not bad things. I'm not saying you need to throw all of your life away, but I am saying that for some of us and maybe all of us, there needs to be a reprioritization every day. Because when we seek Jesus first and we seek God's face first, he can tell us how to order our time, to teach us to be fully present, to not miss opportunities to participate in his kingdom because we were too occupied with the things that we had to do that day. Not to be so occupied with bringing ourselves glory, but instead refocus our lives to always daily and every moment direct glory back to our Father because that is why ultimately we were created. So I'm asking you today to take a reflection on your life and ask yourself this, am I holding on to good things and neglecting the best thing? Pray with me. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the opportunity that we've had to gather together. Lord, I know for me, most days, I wake up not focused on the best thing. I wake up focused on myself or I wake up focused on my to-do list or I rarely wake up focused on you. And I know for me, to set down the good things and pick up the best things may mean significant sacrifice. Being a pastor doesn't make you exempt from this sort of stuff. So I pray for each of us that we would have strength and resolve banding together in unity for the purposes that you created the church, that we might be unified as one, working together to further your kingdom submitting our time, our schedules, our lives to your lordship this week, that we might be most effective in the kingdom, setting aside those things that are good for us to pick up the things that are best for your kingdom. In your name we pray, amen.